Alright, so we're, uh, we're in John chapter 6. We're going to touch base on a couple of things there before we leave that. Uh, let's, have a, let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Dear Father, we are grateful for this day. Paul tells us that you are the one who gives life and breath to every living thing. And we acknowledge that, Father, and we thank you for the measure of health that we have today that we're able to be here, to choose to be here. Father, as each one of us thinks of different ones that we know with needs physically, emotionally, spiritually. We ask your blessings and their needs. We know that you know who they are as you see our thoughts. John tells us that you know what's in the heart of man, you know what's in our thoughts before we say it. So we ask your blessings to these on our hearts this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the direction it gives us and the message of your love to us. We're grateful we can study about Jesus a little bit more this morning. We ask your blessings in that. We pray in his name. Jesus is from God. They're not sure exactly what all that 
have means, but they know that God is with them. And when we come to chapter 6, everything, Jesus comes out completely, everything, uh, as we say, it's the plan, it's all out there now, because he says he makes claims of being the Messiah, of being from heaven, of being God, being his Father. And so, um, He's letting it be known. And so that's what we talked about last week. I want to mention, I'm looking at a couple of things as we get ready to leave chapter 6. Look at verse 41 and 42 of chapter 6. After Jesus, well, let me read verse 40. This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And then verse 41 says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So they are really, uh, they are just uh, like, What? We know this guy. Uh, I want you to look back at Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, there's so many words and prophecies and uh, things said about what the Messiah will be like that are throughout the Old Testament. But I want you to notice in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses speaking, a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So Moses says, there's going to be someone come to you from among your brothers. You'll be like me. You'll be a lawgiver, a covenant giver. And he's going to come from among your brothers to drop down verse 18. I will raise them up, this is Moses speaking for the Lord, and I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So, when we're in John chapter 6, verse 42, one of their complaints is, he's from us. We know who this guy is. We know his father, we know his mother, we know his brothers. Well, it's exactly what Moses said about him. I will raise up a prophet to you from among your brothers. So the thing, you know, the the Jews there, uh, the leaders, the uh, educated Jews, they just keep missing the signs. They just keep missing the signs. Um... And that's one of the examples of that. I want to go one more, touch on one more thing as we as we leave this. Uh, verse verse 48 and 47. So let's read 47 through about 51. Truly, uh, 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world
So Jesus is speaking figuratively about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, when he shares that with at the Last Supper, when he's having communion the Last Supper with his disciples. Galilee, he would not, he would not go about. 
Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Let's start back in chapter 5. Uh, when he did the healing on the Sabbath, and uh, they got an inquiry at that point and said, we, We've got to get rid of this guy. So a plot to kill him again, as far as we know, the earliest we know back in chapter 5. So chapter 7 here, the Jews were seeking to kill him. Verse 2, now the Jews' feast of the booths, or tabernacles, was at hand. And just, uh, just, just very quickly, uh, so there are three, three primary feasts, observances, if you will, holidays, the way we think about it in the sense today, that the, that the Jews observe. They, they observe the Passover, and we've talked about that already, how the, uh, let me just say the Passover goes back to Egypt when they were free and the angel of death passed over and the land where there was not blood on the doorman their first one died um, and so that symbol of the release the time of release of the freedom for the, of the Jews from Israel from Egypt and the Pentecost basically 50 days later after they journeyed out of Egypt and on the 50th day and got to Mount Sinai where Moses went up on the mountain and received the Ten Commandments. And so that was one of the feasts that, uh, one of the times that the Jews came together to remember getting God's law uh, by the hand of Moses there at Mount Sinai. And then the booths, the, the feast of the tabernacles, which was, what, Richard, was it in uh, September usually, our September? And, uh, it was to remember the covenant that was established in Sinai. And I'm sure there's more to it, but that was one of the primary things there was the remembrance of their covenant. Uh, I want to notice one thing back in Exodus. If you'll turn back there with me to chapter 19. This is during the process of when the law, the Ten Commandments, are going to be given. I just want to notice something here. Um, in chapter 19 of Exodus, and I think still important for us today. So I'm going to let's read in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples of the earth. God talking to Moses and the Israelites, and it's conditional. If, if you keep my word and obey my commandments, um, and I just want to say, obey God has been required and expected from the very beginning. From the, from the garden. That's the beginning I'm talking about. From the first humans. God had a condition for Adam and Eve staying in the garden. Don't go into that tree over there. You can have everything else, not that one. Just stay away from it. Their staying in the garden was contingent on them obeying God. And when they violated that and went against his command, 
the trend today, which started about 200 years ago, there is a confusion between obedience and grace. A confusion. And there's a huge push for saved by grace through our faith. There's a huge confusion that says that we're saved by grace and that has nothing to do with obedience because obedience would be a word. That would be me doing something. And we fail to understand that obedience is never, ever, ever, never, ever connected with merit in Scripture. Never. Obedience is not merit. It does not earn as a matter of fact, Jesus makes a comment, if you want to look this up, Luke 17, in verse 7 through 10 of Luke 17, Jesus says, and he'd be a pretty good authority, wouldn't he? Jesus says, when a servant does what's expected, that's what they should have done. They haven't earned anything. It was expected. I mean, we should just read that. Let's just go read it. Luke 17. Uh, the, the reason I take the time here is just that uh, I think we need to pay attention to this because there's such a movement among modern culture, Christian culture, to eliminate obedience and just say it's all grace. And it is all grace, but that is not the eliminate obedience. So Luke 17, uh, verse 7. Will any one of you who has a servant or plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat, and afterwards you can eat? Now we'll get to it here, verse 9 and 10. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Rhetorical question. The answer is no. Verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. God always expects obedience. First of all, because he's God. He deserves it. He's on such a higher level as by His grace that He gives us guidelines, commands, guidelines, instructions so that we may obey Him and be saved and be pleasing to Him. So Jesus says, obey doesn't earn. It's expected. So the confusion of obey uh, somehow negating grace or conflicting with grace is completely wrong. It's not, not biblical. It's a misunderstanding that the, that the God of heaven deserves and demands obedience because of who he is. And so, when Peter is talking to the Jews assembled at Pentecost in Acts 2, and he says, you guys have killed Jesus, but the grave couldn't hold him, and God has raised him up. And they get convicted that, uh-oh, we have committed a crime, we have committed murder, we have killed the Son of God. 
next second, Peter, well, what do we do about this? And Peter says, you've got to change your hearts about Jesus. Repent and be baptized in his name for the remission of your sins and to receive the stamp, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He was not saying to them, well, you've convicted Jesus, and so now if you want to earn your salvation, be baptized. He had no thought of that whatsoever. There was no earning whatsoever. The act of baptism was an act of obedient faith, and it was a union, spiritual union, that God designed that's explained in Romans chapter 6. By faith, it's a burial into his death, buried, it says, with him, so that we may be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. The thought of merit, the thought of earning anything is not remotely in question when Peter tells them to repent and obey God. No merit there. No earnings. Forgiveness of sins is God's gift. It's God's remedy. It's God that puts us into Christ. It's God that raises us up with Christ. It's God that gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't earn any of it. But we are expected to obey. Richard.
Cyrus. I was looking for a book to read on Monday to see the kindergartners. I found a book that was about how different people, like a carpenter, sees love by this, and a teacher sees love by this way. And it was a little bit eye-opening because I felt like I think different people are the same way, how we can all see love in a different way and express it in a different way. And I think that is the same for when we are confronting sin with other people. Because I don't think that we all have to do it in that same exact way. I think that we could tell somebody that's not something I agree with. But I don't know if it's necessary in my, how I see love, I wouldn't say you're not allowed to house because of that. I think it can be expressed in different, in different ways by still saying this is what the Bible says, and then I still can love that yeah. and express it in a different way than someone else. I don't know if you heard, Amber, but love can be expressed in different ways. And we have to be very wise, very wise and careful in how we express it so that we don't drive someone away. However, in, as we pray for wisdom in how to confront and how to correct, and we shouldn't do anything about praying about it first, especially in that matter. We have to make sure that they know we really do care about them and then pray to the Lord for wisdom. How can I best say this? Uh, turn with me to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death 
cover a multitude of sins. So, Jesus said, The world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. And we should pray to know and understand how to do the same thing. Uh, we've got about ten minutes here. Uh, so Jesus goes up later on during the time of the feast and begins to teach the temple. Uh, verse 25 John 7. Some of the people of Jerusalem said, Isn't this the man they're trying to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? I think they really did know that they had a strong sense of awareness that this man is connected to God, and he may be the Messiah. I don't think they knew that he's the Son of God that Jesus has said publicly, I'm from heaven, and he said my Father. And I believe they're starting to put some things together. But Jesus was not the kind of Messiah that they wanted. He's not the kind of Messiah they wanted. They wanted King David. They were not interested in the spiritual side. They wanted a physical kingdom. And it appears that the deduction was we've got to get rid of this guy. We've got to get rid of him. He's not what we wanted. And Jesus sort of talks about this in, in Matthew 21 in the parable of the tenants. And he talks about how the owner of the field sent servants to the tenants to get his due for the fields that they were working, and they killed the servants. He sent another, they killed him, and then he said, okay, I'll send my son, they'll respect him because he's my son, and I own the field. When the son came, they said, let's kill this guy, let's take the inheritance. And then after he tells that parable, the scripture says, the Pharisees reasoned that he was talking about them. They were the ones killing the heir. They understood, oh, he's talking about us, because our plan is to kill him. Some of the dots are starting to be connected. Let's kill the heir and take the inheritance. You know, man is always refashioning God to fit our image. We're always remaking God as guidelines to fit what we want. So, four years ago, the Supreme Court, by margin of one vote, one man turns on his head. Thousands of years of precedent and God's law about marriage. 
It says, what a white sense of lady. That that rule is old-timey, archaic, and out of style. That people should be able to marry anybody they want. Their neighbor, their brother, their, their best girlfriend, whoever they want. Homosexual marriage becomes the law of land. Land is continually reshaping God. And we need to be careful, I just say this, we need to be careful with the kind of reasoning that says, as culture drags us along, drags the church along by its ear, and culture says, you need to teach this, you need to quit saying that, you need to teach, get you need to teach this. You need to be very careful about allowing culture to drag us along, because that's insinuating that God is not God, that he's certainly not all wise that he was not able to give us guidelines that would be applicable today. That only applied back then. But now let's come out of the Stone Age. Let's get out of the cave and get with culture. Look, culture will never bring you closer to God. Ever. That's not the direction of culture. Jesus said the world hates me because I testified to it this evening. So in love and wisdom, we need to stand firm that God loves you and he wants you to be in heaven and he's given you guidelines, us, me, too, on how to live. And here's what God says. If we don't know our identity, we'll end up somewhere we never intended to be. And if God is not able to give us instructions, that apply now as well as then? Is he really all wise? Let's not let culture drag us along by the ear. It's wrong. Four minutes. Um, so, let's go to verse 37. We're in the grand finale of the feast here. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive, but not yet, because the Spirit had not yet been given. So on the last day of the feast, I'm not authority on this, but the grand finale of the Feast of the Tabernacles had to do with pouring water from the pool of Siloam in a golden picture out at the altar. And Jesus seizes on this picture, not to be confused with the picture. He seizes on this uh, Trying to think of another word for a picture, but I can't. Uh, to say, I'm living water. There's ceremonially pouring out water from this golden urn thing. It symbolizes the coming of the Spirit. I'm the living water, and whoever believes on me will have the Spirit living in his heart. So he uses this picture. To tell this truth. Some says, is this the Christ? But does the Christ come out of Galilee? Doesn't the scripture say that the Christ comes from the offspring of David? Psalms 89, 
born offspring David. And that he comes from Bethlehem. Yes, it does. Micah 5 2. The Christ is from David's offspring and their lineage and comes out of Bethlehem. They didn't realize, I suppose, that Jesus was born, was a Nazarene, lived in Nazareth of Galilee when he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. He met the requirement of Micah's prophecy. He was born in Bethlehem and he was of David's lineage. He fits exactly who the scripture says the Messiah will be. Um, at the very last of the uh, chapter, verse 7, uh, Nicodemus, they're really getting worked up. They sent some soldiers, one minute, they sent some soldiers to arrest Jesus. The soldiers came back to the Pharisees and they said, Where's Jesus? He's supposed to arrest him. And the soldiers said, Nobody speaks like this guy. Nobody teaches or talks like him. We couldn't do it. And the scripture says, They're furious. We sent you to arrest him. And Look, Jesus overwhelmed him with his presentation. He said, we couldn't do it. And so he said, you, you ignorant guys. Richard. Just a little bit on the left. Do you learn to be perceptive where it was? Left land. The Hebrew word means left land, which is how it's worked. Bethlehem, wording for Bethlehem, referring back to bread, Jesus literally being bread and wine. So I'll close it with this and just say God has laid out the prophecies, He's laid out the events perfectly. Jesus was from Bethlehem, He was from the lineage of David. He's meeting, he's checking off every event and prophecy, prophecy perfectly. Go in peace. Glad you came today. Let's try this again next week, all right? Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.